As you turn there, if you're visiting with us, we are thankful you are here, and we've come to that portion of our service, which is really the pinnacle of worship, where we hear uh, the Word of God and its preaching. Romans chapter 13, we'll read this morning verses 1 through 7, and our text will be verses 6 and 7. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now for your sake, for your own glory, that you would bless the reading and preaching of your word by your spirit. And we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. You may be seated. So they tell me that there are only two things certain in this world, death and taxes. As a Christian, we could say there's more to it. Uh, About 10 years ago, I preached on a similar passage dealing with the same subject, and I did a little research, and, and this is what I found. In our own country, when it comes to the IRS at that time, there were roughly 115,000 employees And it was at that time five times larger than the CIA. It took, according to one source, $8 billion to run it. And in 2007, there were 173-plus million tax returns filed and over $1 trillion received from individual income taxes. Of course, there are other taxes in our nation, the employment tax, corporation tax, the income tax, the excise tax, the estate tax, and the gift tax. There's sales tax, too, locally. As of 2007, the agency estimated that the Treasury is owed $354 billion more than the amount it collects. And so at that time, nearly half of the taxes received were from individual income tax, and many taxes were owed to the IRS, and many do not file, evidently, and pay their taxes. And then there's that whole issue of where does the money go? Government spending. And uh, one source gave these examples of how it is possible for our government to waste tax dollars In San Diego, there was a military plane project that lasted 20 years, 
that cost $20 million. The plane only got two feet off the ground. Then there was another project in Montana, a windmill project, that cost $70 million. It was for, allegedly, the military. It wasn't requested by the Pentagon or NASA, and the facts are still unclear to this day. Uh, there is Corridor H in West Virginia, 25-mile stretch of concrete that ends in a field. And the cost? $2 billion. And so there's no doubt that our nation collects taxes and spends money and at times, maybe understated, wastes money. In 2021... We've had the bailout, the relief, the trillions of dollars, the stimulus checks, roughly $1,400 a person. And some have said that average would be at the cost of $17,000 per person. So when you average it out, it costs $17,000 per person for $1,400 to receive that amount. Now, when you look at the way we collect taxes in our nation, it doesn't end up like that because some are taxed more than others and that sort of thing. Some don't pay taxes at all. And so as we think about that as citizens, maybe sometimes we are prone to ask, well, should I pay taxes? Is it, is it lawful for me to pay taxes? Can I get away without paying them? And for the Christian, this is indeed a question. As Paul addresses it here in his letter to those Christians at Rome 2,000 years ago. As we've seen, Paul is concerned that the church of Jesus Christ not promote or instigate some sort of insurrection, an overthrow of civil government. No, he says that we are to submit to those authorities that be because every authority that is in existence is established by God. Civil government is established by God and those who fill those places of government have providentially been put there by God himself doesn't mean that every ruler is godly, but it means that under God's providence, they are there. And so in our text for this morning, verses 6 and 7, the apostle here uh, tells Christians, tells the church of Christ that we are to pay taxes. Part of our submission to civil government is paying taxes and respect to civil authority. As difficult as that might be to some. And so we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to look at the Christian and his taxes. We're going to look at the Christian and respect. Paying our taxes and paying respect. First of all, then paying our taxes. Uh, remember again that Paul's argument here is very tight. He says that God is the one who has established civil authority. God has established all authority. And so, because of that, he says, we are to submit to them. That's there in verse 1. And if we, if we don't, we bring judgment on ourselves. And he also has told us the reason that he has given us government. It isn't so that they could steal from us and treat us badly or even persecute the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose of civil government is to protect those who do good. That's there at verse 3. And to bring terror and fear to those who do evil. He even goes as far as to say that the civil authority is the minister of God. He holds the sword, not in vain. 
That is to execute justice, to punish evildoers, to protect those who do good. And then he says there at the end of verse 5, that's not the only reason we are to submit. We are to submit for conscience sake. So it's not enough to submit to authority because you might get caught. And if you get caught, you might get in trouble. We looked at that, children. Remember last time? As adults, we can do that too. We can say, well, I'm not going to speed because I might get caught. If I get caught, I get a ticket, I get in trouble. Well, there's more to it than that. He says, for conscience sake, because we owe our submission to the magistrate. And so, ultimately, when we obey lawful authority and lawful commands from authority, we are placing ourselves, as it were, under the authority of God and being obedient to Him. And that's not a blank check of authority. We've seen that in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. The apostles were commanded not to preach in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were commanded not to preach the gospel. Therefore, they were commanded to disobey the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So they said, we must obey God rather than man. That's the principle. When any authority commands us to disobey God, we always obey God. Always, always, always. And let God handle the rest. And so, that's what Paul has been saying in these first few verses of Romans chapter 13. And so, Paul continues there at verse 6. He tells us the reason we pay taxes, verse 6, for because of this, you also pay taxes. Because of what? Well, the context, it, it tells us. Because there needs to be a civil government as established by God in order to protect those who do good in society, to prevent anarchy, to prevent the whole judges scenario where everyone does what is right in his own eyes, to prevent a wild, wild west, and to protect the church of the Lord Jesus Christ as we have seen. And so for this, you, he says, you also pay Taxes for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. And again, that's not to say that there are not, that there are never wicked rulers. There are, even when we look at the scriptures, we find that. Go back into the Old Testament, we've seen that. And yet, that's their calling, and we have this caveat that there is what ought to be. And there is what is. For you English grammarians, you can correct me later. But there is this sense of oughtness in what is actually the case. And so, he says, they are God's ministers. And as he says that again, just let us note that when it comes to civil authority, to civil government, this is not a bad thing. God has ordained it. They are to serve in the name of God. So there is a dignity that goes with the office, a legitimate office. And so Christians may, and I would say ought, to serve in civil government if they are ever called to do so. Our own confession talks about that. There is a dignity that goes with it. And they are to rule in a way that pleases God. Go back and read the second psalm. It's quite clear that they are to rule in a way that pleases God and His Messiah. You can read about that there. And what happens if they don't? 
if they rebel against him. It's not good. And so we have the Bible and taxes. Well, uh, if we were to look at the Old Testament, we would find that taxes did exist in the Old Testament Israel. Uh, there was the tithe, which went to the church for the ecclesiastical purposes of that society. In Leviticus 27 and verse 32, we see that the tithe in the Old Testament supported the work of the church. It supported the clergy of the Old Testament church and all their functions. And then in the civil sphere, there was the poll tax, the head tax. And so in Exodus 30 and verse 15, it says this, the rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less. Under God's law, there is true justice when it comes to the tax system, as we see there. However, we also have talked about the purpose of civil government, and talking about the purpose of civil government, we see its limitations. And so anytime you add baggage to what the civil government does, there's, guess what? It's going to cost money. It's going to cost more. So there will be more taxes, and we've seen that in our own land over the decades. When we turn to the pages of the New Testament, we find our Lord Jesus being asked about this question uh, because there was a question about the rulers that existed in Palestine and Israel in that day. Were they legitimate? You know, there's the Caesar um, are we supposed to pay taxes to him, Jesus? So it was a trap. They were trying to trick him. They were trying to pit some against him so that they could get rid of him. But when posed with the question in Matthew 22, the question there is, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus answers in verse 18, after perceiving their wickedness, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius, about a day's wage, a coin. And they, he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard when they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. And so our Lord, what, what do we expect? Anything else? I mean, here's the words of wisdom, truth. He talks about the image on the coin and so forth. There's Caesar's image and perhaps uh, the image of a goddess on the other side. He says, render unto Caesar that which belongs to Caesar, render unto God that which is God's. Now, God owns everything, right? Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So even Caesar himself owes his life to the living and true God. But Jesus here masterfully points out that we are to pay taxes. He says, render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar. I'm not going to flesh that out for us this morning. Uh, men have done that and sought to do it. Uh, but that would be a very good study. What is legitimate? We've already, in some respects, seen that. Whatever is necessary to support a government whose purpose it is to protect those who do good and to punish those who do evil. But he also says render or pay to God the things that are God's, the church and the state. 
We're to give taxes where they are due, and we are to pay our tithe where it is due. And so as we think about that, are you paying your taxes? Some of you feel that (laughs) very hard right now. Uh, Are you paying your tithe to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving your offering to the Lord? These are the things required by our Lord Jesus. And so the question may arise, well, does that mean the government has the right to tax without limit? And, of course, the answer is no. Even the government is liable to God, as we see here in Romans chapter 13. Now, some of you know of John Calvin, the reformer in the 1500s. Listen to what he said about the civil authorities. He said, speaking of the magistrates, they, quote, should remember that all they receive from the people is public property and not a means of satisfying private lust and luxury. He reminds us that the civil magistrate is a steward of the funding of the public. And before God, they have that responsibility to act accordingly. They aren't to take the money from the people and to satisfy their own pleasure, their own lust and luxury. And oh, would the government do that today? We would be in a lot better shape. 30 years ago, James Boyce in his commentary said this. He even talks about there the unfairness of the graded income tax and says that the government was spending too much in that day that it was out of control. Government spending in our nation has been out of control forever, it would seem. And uh, Boyce acknowledged that even back then. Of course, our founding fathers started a war uh, based on this issue of taxes, no taxation without representation. They were being taxed without representation in Parliament, and they thought it was their right that if they were paying taxes that they should get representation. So as we think about what Paul says here in paying taxes, again, remember his intent. This is the way it should be. Some of this is the way that it is, but it ought to be that the government serves these purposes. And he says, for this reason, you pay taxes. And then there in verse 7, he says, render therefore to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due. Now, let me just remind you of 1 Samuel uh, chapter 8. Remember in Israel, in the Old Testament, God was supposed to be their ruler. God was supposed to be their king. He promised to bless them, to protect them, and lead them into the promised land and all of that. But guess what? They looked around and they coveted their neighbors, the, the nations by them, and they said, we want to have a king like them. So in essence, they rejected God being their king. They wanted a human king. God, in his chastisement, gave them what they wanted to show them the error of their ways. But this is the warning that he, he gave to them before Saul became their king. This is 1 Samuel 8, beginning at verse 11, after they ask for their own king. Samuel spoke these words on behalf of God. It says that he said, They, or this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. 
and some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. He will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cookers, or cooks and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. He will take your male servants, your female servants. I mean, I, it just goes on and on and on. You'll call out to the Lord, but he will not hear you in that day. And so we see that's God's chastisement upon them. Overtaxation, slavery to their king, to the civil magistrate. And when you reject God and his word and his principles, guess what happens? Something else will take over. And that's what's happened in our own land, I believe. Back in Romans 13, Paul, the servant of Christ, the apostle, and therefore Christ himself, the Lord, teaches us that we are to pay our taxes. We are not to evade lawful taxes. And we acknowledge at the same time there is unlawful taxation, excessive but nevertheless, as Jesus says, we are to render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. And some of us are sitting here and thinking, fine, I, I do that since I've been a Christian, perhaps since I've been working, I've sought to do that. But that doesn't mean I have to like them. Okay, well, let's continue because now he's going to talk about the Christian and respect for civil magistrates. There in verse 7, render, therefore to all their due, all of those in authority. Of course, that, goes to, that applies to all men as well. He'll come back to that later in the letter. But I think the context indicates he's talking about all those in government. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor, to whom honor. First of all, just note the word render there. Uh, the Greek is apodithomai, and it means to give back, to give away, to give up, to pay to all their due. So the question is, what is their due? The verse tells us, doesn't it? Taxes. Customs, fear, honor. That's what we are to pay. Taxes, the tribute in Roman society at that day and time. Customs, the toll, the duty tax in their day and time. Fear, phobos, uh, fear, and really this has the idea of, of respect. We are to fear God. Really, we're not to fear any man. Uh, we could say we're not to fear any man more than we fear God. Because if we fear God, that casts out all fear. It casts out all fear of man when we fear God more than man. But here I think the idea is respect. In fact, when you look at the scriptures, we are told who it is we are to fear. In Leviticus 18.3, it says we are to fear mother and father. In 1 Samuel 12.18, it says we are to fear God and his prophet. Proverbs 24, 21, it says we are to fear God and his king, or the king. 
And in 1 Timothy 5.17, we are told to respect our elders. Those, not only who are elders in the church, but the elderly. In 1 Timothy 6.1, it even says there that servants, slaves, are to fear and respect their masters. So here's this, the principle applied to that relationship of authority. Listen to 1 Peter 2.18. Peter, the apostle, says, Servants or slaves, be submissive to your masters with all fear, with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Now that's kind of hard, isn't it? Peter addresses them, and he reminds them of the Lord Jesus who suffered unjustly, who had lashes on his back because he was obedient to his father. But there's the principle that we are not to, as the church of Jesus Christ, we are not to cause a, an insurrection to authority. We're not to overthrow. And so people sometimes look at the New Testament and they say, well, why does it not speak to slavery and servitude? It does. But the idea is that the church's job, it wasn't the church's job to overthrow that um, function of society. No, that was the state's job. And so Christians were to be respectful to all men who were made in the image of God. Also in our text, it says render honor. To whom honor is due. What does that mean? The idea of honor here is the price that is paid for something. You know, the, the name Timothy means honor. The price paid, it means to value something, to acknowledge its worth, to see what it is worth. And so we're told in Scripture to honor the king, 1 Peter 2, 17, to honor the elderly, the aged, Leviticus 19, 32. 1 Timothy 5.3, to honor widows. 1 Peter 2.17, to honor all men. By the way, husbands, future husbands, Peter in 1 Peter 2.17 says that we are to honor our wives. We are to see their worth, their value, that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and finds favor from the Lord it says there, husbands, likewise, dwell with them, your wives, with all understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. So just as a footnote, husbands, do you honor your wives and do you cherish what it is that they provide in your home for you and your children. Now, ultimately, we are to honor the Lord, right? Above all, we honor God. In fact, in Revelation 4, 10, and 11, it talks about the 24 elders, and it says there that they fell down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and what? Honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. The 
24 elders in heaven. They make it to heaven. They have crowns. They acknowledge that whatever they have that is good comes from God. So they cast the crowns before him, acknowledging his gifting of them. And they worship him, giving him praise and glory and honor. And by the way, since we're talking about honor, you might say, Kevin, I do honor the king. I do honor all men. I honor my elders. And I even try to honor God, you know, the man upstairs. But Jesus put it like this. In John 5, 22, he says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And so in other words, what I'm saying right now is that you cannot, it is impossible for you to honor God without honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth, he says, who sent him. The Father sent Jesus. So if you don't honor Jesus, you don't honor the Father. Jesus put it like this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And so again, I'll just remind you of the necessity of the Lord Jesus Christ, of going to him and through him in order to get to the Father in heaven. Now, how are we supposed to honor those in civil authority? I think that's a legitimate question. First of all, it should be obvious as we read this passage that we obey their lawful commands, that we pay taxes, and we do what Paul talks about here. But also in 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul says that in the church, we are to be lifting up holy hands, praying for whom? Kings and all in authority. Remember a few months ago, we had um, a little ministry, the card ministry. We wrote down the names of representatives, our mayor, and so forth, and we prayed for them during the service. That's why. And by the way, if one of you is interested in picking up that ministry again, please let me know. All you have to do is get a card and tell me who we're going to pray for that week. I'll give you a list, and we'll do it. But that's one way we honor our civil magistrate at the local level, at the federal level, is to pray for them. And so let me ask you this. We, we talk about whether it's Democrat, Republican, or whomever. You know, we, we share our grievances with them or about them. Are you praying for them? Do we pray for those in authority over us? Paul says, therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We obey their lawful commands. We pray for them. Also, we honor them by our speech. By and through our speech. I'll say a little more about that in a moment. We honor them with our attitudes. Remember, for conscience sake, that's why we obey. For conscience sake, because how we treat them tells us and others what we think about God. 
is God sovereign? Is God in control? Is God providential? Then I realize that he has placed these authorities over me. Therefore, I am to treat them with respect. I am to give them honor. I am to pay taxes that are due to them, and I am to pray for them. And I need to be careful how I speak about them. And so perhaps that raises a question. What if the person holding office isn't really worth such dignity or respect? On one hand, we could say that about any man who holds office. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But it is true that there are those who act in a way that betrays the office, that betrays the public good, and that betrays God's law and therefore God himself. Hold your finger there in Romans and turn with me to Acts chapter 23. We saw this a couple of years ago as we went through this book of Acts. It's good to refresh our minds, our memories, as we see what the Apostle Paul did here. In Acts chapter 23, <clears throat> it says in verse 1, Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, he's on trial. He said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Paul is saying, look, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm, 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 I have a good conscience before God. I'm preaching the gospel. Christ has called me to do this. Verse 2, and the high priest Ananias commanded that those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. How dare you, Paul, say that you are pleasing God. God by preaching in the name of Jesus. That scoundrel. That's the attitude of the high priest. Verse 3, then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? A legitimate complaint. But Paul used some rather strong terminology there, right? Whitewashed wall, it kind of sounds like Matthew 23, even Jesus. Whitewashed tomb. And so in verse 4, it says, And those who stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. And perhaps Paul had terrible eyesight. That could have been his thorn in the flesh. Or perhaps he just didn't know. He couldn't identify him visibly. But that's what he says. And then Paul says, For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. He's quoting from the law. Exodus twenty-two twenty-eight. So Paul affirms the Old Testament law for which he was on trial, breaking, and he shows repentance, integrity, honor because had he known that this was the high priest he would not have said what he said he would have given respect verbally to the one who holds the office as a ruler in that society and so here's the point if it is for no other reason we show respect to those who are in public office because of the office that they hold. 
They've been put in authority over us, and we show them respect. Now, I know there is a ninth commandment, and the ninth commandment says, you shall not bear false witness. And in Isaiah 5, it says, woe to them that call evil good and good evil. We don't want to do that. We don't want to sin, right? Our larger catechism talking about the ninth commandment says that we are to stand for the truth. We are not to have an undue silence and a just cause. That we are not to hold our peace when iniquity calleth for either a reproof from ourselves or complaint to others. So we have to wrestle with that as we talk about how we speak of authority. Now, when it comes to our Lord Jesus, there are basically two issues. They're not with Him. It's with our understanding. But in Luke's Gospel, chapter 13 and verse 32, speaking of Herod, Jesus said, Go tell that what? Fox. You know, when you get a fox in the chicken coop, you know what's happening. Go tell that fox, that is Herod, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures and so forth. So does that give us license, as I've been told in the past, does that give us license to say what we want about civil authority and rulers? In fact, any authority? You know, parents, do you want your children calling you fox, scoundrel, pig, or your pastor, or your president, your parents? Well, Matthew Henry, writing about Luke 13, 32, says, well, Christ was a prophet. And prophets always had liberty of speech in reproving princes and great men. Nay, he says, Christ was more than a prophet. He was a king, and he was, and of course is, the king of kings and lord of lords. And so he, he reasons that we should not take this as a license to say what Jesus himself said about Herod. Now, in Matthew 23, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders in his day, the scribes and the Pharisees, and he says, among other things, he says that they are hypocrites, blind guides, fools, blind, whitewashed tombs, serpents, brood, or children of vipers, brood of vipers. And he says to them, how can you escape the condemnation of hell. Okay? But earlier in Matthew 5, remember Jesus talks about speech there, and he says in Matthew 5 22, whoever says Raka or you fool, you'll be in hell in, in danger of the council and in danger of hell fire. And by the way, for you Charlie Brown fans, Raka means empty head, blockhead, fool, idiot. And so Jesus is telling us to watch our words, to be careful with our speech, not to say raka, empty head, idiot, not to say fool. So what's the difference? How do we harmonize what is going on in the Gospels? Well, in Matthew 5, Jesus is addressing the heart, the depths, the depths of our sin. And he talks about murder. Murder begins in the heart. And he says, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And so when Jesus talks about this idea of saying that someone is a fool, 
I think he's talking about the murder that is in the heart, which manifests itself through speech, of course, juggler veins, uh, red faces, all of these things. And in Matthew 23, Jesus is speaking very plainly and directly. He's condemning the Pharisees. He's warning them of the danger to come. And so in that sense, it is an act of kindness. It is loving them, telling them of the danger to come. And by the way, it's not always a sin to call someone a fool. The Proverbs talk about it. In Psalm 14, 1, it says that the fool has said in his heart, what? There is no God. Now, how would I address that personally, one-on-one, as I have in the past? If I'm talking with an atheist who says there is no God, I don't say, you fool. But I will say, do you know what the Word of God says? Psalm 14, 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And even though I'm speaking harsh, not harsh, I shouldn't say that, hard truth, hopefully by directing him to the word of God and not me calling him that, I'm still able to have a conversation with him. Now, if he's totally rebellious and hardened, he's not going to listen no matter what, only if God intervenes sovereignly in his heart. But we can say that this is what the fool says. Or we can say that is foolish, right? And so applying what Paul says back in Romans 13, render, rendering due, what is due? Taxes, customs, fear, and honor. I think we do have the liberty to make an assessment against ungodliness and wickedness in our society. We can say, we may say that that is sinful, We should say that something is sinful when it is, and we may say that that is foolish. You know, I've told my children, that's a foolish thing to do, and people have probably called me foolish or said that I've done things that are foolish as well, because I know I have. And so, be careful how you speak against all those who are in authority. Pay your taxes and pay your respect, right? And so as we looked at Romans 13, we've seen here that we are to be subject as Christians to the civil magistrate, not to start an insurrection. We've seen that the purpose of the civil magistrate is to punish evil and protect those who do good in society. And we've also seen that we are to pay our taxes and that we are to pay our respects. And so then let us see, beloved, let us see in our own lives that we follow the demands of God's word and our lawful obedience to and respect for the authorities that he has placed over us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that you have not left us in the dark guessing how we may please you but that you've revealed the gospel to us, our salvation through Jesus Christ, and you show us how to follow him, to walk in his steps, to be obedient to you, even though that obedience is imperfect. Help us, Father, to put our attitudes, our hearts, and our speech in check, and at the same time, to speak the truth, and to speak the truth in love, pointing others to your word, 
and to your Savior, in whose name we pray, amen.